Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast. This is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of FinTech Nexus. I've been doing these shows since 2013, which makes this the longest-running one-on-one interview show in all of FinTech. Thank you for joining me on this journey. If you like this podcast, you should check out our sister shows, Pitch It, the FinTech Startups Podcast with Todd Anderson, and FinTech Coffee Break with Isabel Castro. Or you can listen to everything we produce by subscribing to the FinTech Nexus podcast channel. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our comprehensive news service. FinTech Nexus News not only covers the biggest FinTech news stories, our daily newsletter delivers the most important FinTech stories into your inbox every morning with special commentary on the top story of the day. Stay on top of FinTech News by subscribing at news.fintechnexus.com slash subscribe. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Alec Koenig. He is the CEO and founder of Settle. Now, Settle is a really interesting company, started during the pandemic, and they offer basically accounts payable software combined with a working capital financing solution. And this is a perfect match, and you'll find out why as uh, during this conversation and how really Alec and his team stumbled on uh, a vertical that was in desperate need of, of this particular product at that time. So we talk about that. We also talk about um, in some depth the how the working capital product um works, how it's underwritten, um, what kinds of types of data they use. We talk about some of the brands that are are using it today. Uh, Alec talks about his time at a firm and how that has really informed how he runs Settle today. We talk about his Ukrainian team, uh, the scale they're at, and much more. It was a fascinating discussion. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Alec. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So let's kick it off by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. I see you, uh, you've you come out of a firm like many other people I've had on the podcast in the last 12 months. There's a real firm mafia um, happening in fintech, it seems, these days. But why don't you just hit on some of the high points of your career to date? Yeah, uh, our firm was definitely uh, the last thing I did before Settle. Um, so and, uh, to your point about the mafia, it, you can definitely feel it while in the company. Um, there's just a, a lot of smart, ambitious people um, and you could just see them uh, doing great things. Um, so started off my career at Capital One um, back in 2008. Uh, so great timing to be in credit and lending. Um, so I did two years, a two-year stint in auto lending and then a two-year stint in personal loans. And then I finished up my career there in the retail banking side. Uh, so I, I feel like that gave me a great purview on uh, consumer risk. Mm-hmm. Um, then I got really infatuated with startups, uh, and I figured the best way to learn about it is to join one. So I joined a tiny startup in LA, uh, focused on non-QM mortgages. Um, did that for about a year and a half, and then I found my way to a firm um, uh, back in 2015 and stayed there till 2019. So okay. So what was the um what was the impetus then to start um settle? What was the idea? Tell us a little bit about the genesis of the business. 
Yeah, many people think uh, it's just something I stumbled upon at, at a firm, uh, but that's actually not the case. So right after a firm, uh, a friend of mine asked me to take over as CEO of his startup. Uh, it was tiny, like uh, three people. Uh, so I joined there. Um, it was a try before try before you buy business, and uh, I just couldn't really figure out the unit economics of it and how to make this work uh, long term. So I decided to shut it down. Uh, and this was all within two months, so pretty pretty rash. Um, but during that experience, I was using this accounts payable software um, that I just thought was the worst product around. Um, so when I was thinking about ideas after that, uh, one of the ideas was, hey, let's just create the best-in-class accounts payable software for small businesses. Um, so that's what was really the initiating idea and then you know when i think about building companies i really think about you know is there founder market fit and you know my background's really in credit and lending so well i was like well if we could combine this with working capital um then i think those things would tie together and in that case i really think we could actually change the trajectory of these businesses instead of just saving them like a couple hours a week so uh i interviewed a bunch of companies um over the next month uh just to really determine if this is a pain point um and if this would be really appealing to them and uh it just seemed to really resonate with a lot of companies so that gave me enough impetus to actually kick things off so um i recruited the team uh that was working with that that small startup uh to join me on this journey and uh we started it all back in november 2019 Okay, so did you launch with the working capital piece in place, or was it really more of a SaaS type product? What was what did you launch with? Uh, we launched uh, both with accounts payable software and working capital. Um, uh, you know, I think when you hear from people like Vinod Kosla and whatnot, and Keith uh, Raboy, um, they're really stressed on like doing the hard thing first. Uh, so if you could, you know, really do the hardest thing up front, then it'll be a little bit more smooth sailing down the line. Um, so for me, it was that, it was that kind of combo product that was, that was very unique and would actually unlock these businesses. So we launched in the summer of 2020, um, with both, uh, working capital, pro- actually two working capital products, um, and the accounts payable software. So, uh, I didn't know which working capital product would resonate. Uh, so we kind of, uh, increased our chances of success and, um, one of them took off and that's kind of what we doubled down on. Interesting time to launch a working capital product when you're like right in the height of the pandemic with oh, yeah. the PPP that was already out there. Um, Tell us a little bit about those early days. Where you did you? you know, how was the traction? Yeah, um, initially, you know, I think one of my biggest mistakes was really not thinking through uh, the market deep enough, um, and we're kind of focused on like any small business. So you know, if you're a SaaS business or this business uh, or econ business, whatever, like this should this should work for you. Um, and the initial traction was really from companies in the e-commerce channel. Um, and once we kind of noticed that, that's where we just didn't do like a hard pivot or soft pivot, really, but just really focus on e-commerce merchants. And so like, okay, this is our hero customer segment. This is who we're going to go after. 
uh, we're not going to even worry about any other companies. Um, so, um, and what really made sense then was because we're in lockdowns, uh, all the retail offline channels, you know, stores went offline. So everyone came online. Uh, so what, what that meant for these e-commerce businesses is that they're running out of inventory left and right. They have sold out products online and, what do they need to meet the the increased demand is they need working capital. They need to right. procure more inventory they need to procure more marketing. Um, so it was just very, I think, fortunate timing for us to really take advantage of that. Um, so, you know, after getting our first 10 customers, I think the next 200 were all word of mouth. Um, so these founders of these businesses were just spreading the word um, to their other friends or other operators um saying like hey this this really helped my business like you should check this out mm, okay um, so, well the demand was insane for us and we're just barely able to keep up with the demand mm. so then maybe you could um tell us exactly how the working capital product works i mean what what are you um what are you actually underwriting on just describes the the, the basis of the offering yeah. So taking a step back, the core product is accounts payable software. So what does that mean is, you know, we're really handling and managing our customers' invoices from their vendors. Uh, so we're ingesting those bills. We're reading all their information from there to enable one-click pay and scheduling. We allow them to categorize it so it'll sync into their ERP like QuickBooks, NetSuite. Um, so once we handle all that, um, customer can, you know, schedule payment to their vendor. Um, so we could, you know, process that payment for them. Great. Um, so the way I thought about the working capital product was, well, if these companies need to spend the time to actually, you know, pay their vendors, why don't we just simplify that and, you know, also introduce the lending decision there. So, Hey, if you want to pay this invoice with your own money, great. If you want to pay with our money, AKA financing, you could do that too, all with one click. Um, so that's what we really enabled. So effectively settle will pay the vendor directly. With settles money and then the brand could pay us back anywhere from 30 to 150 days later it's really depending on their cash conversion cycle so for these e-commerce merchants uh all of them have a very similar pain point where they need to procure inventory way ahead of time before they could actually get revenue from those inventory purchases and the roi is just so clear for them because you know they're they have some gross margins on the product so you know if i procure things uh, with the 60% gross margin, for example, I know I'm going to get much more money down the line once I sell through these goods. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the um, logistics and freight um, stuff during COVID really elongated these cash conversion cycles. So right. a product like ours just made so much sense for them. And it's very uh, useful for these com companies to actually tie specific uh you know loans to specific uh revenue from that in a specific inventory so it's a very clean way of thinking about it right uh, right so it's really it's it's really invoice financing um it, it sounds like is what you're offering and i'm just curious about the like you talk about some of the the the, the timelines you said you go out to like five months i imagine for some of them that might not have even been enough right i mean is that is that the maximum term that you'll go out uh, today it's uh, 180 days. 180 days. Uh, the maximum will go out. Um, so I think for 90% of businesses, that definitely works. Um, for others, you know, especially once they start 
not only if they have like a long procurement cycle, but then they're also selling into retail. And then, you know, those retailers are providing additional net terms for them. Then sometimes it could get longer. Uh, but for the most part, that kind of fits the bill. Um, and generally, you know, my personal view is, you know, if, uh, if your whole cash conversion cycle is longer than that, then that's, that's a really difficult place to be. Right. Uh, it makes you less nimble and it's harder to kind of predict yeah. forecast. Yeah, the future. for sure. For sure. So, but then obviously you've got, a lot of these companies will work with multiple vendors, right? So they might have three, four main vendors that they're buying from. Do you then, you would sort of, they would potentially do four different types of, like four different kind of one-click applications then? That's right. That's right. So, um, and our, our, our other view that's very different from the market in general is that like, you know, I think most lenders will like, hey, deposit a bunch of money, you could use it as you wish, and we're just going to start charging you interest on it. Right. Um, so, but I think what's what's kind of bad there is that like, you can't actually use all that money uh, right away um, because most of this money is going to be sitting in your bank and you're just going to be paying interest on it, which doesn't make sense to us. So it's like, if we tie this to the actual payment out to the vendor, then you're only paying interest for money that's actually in use, which is going to reduce the overall cost to the merchant. Um, but yeah, um, I think, you know, our companies might have, you know, 20 different individual loans out at the same time. Uh, we keep all the, you know, loan terms the same. So, you know, we're starting the same flat APR across all these different invoices. Uh, but that product is a little bit different that way where you might have 20 different individual loans instead of just like one big lump one. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So can you take us through the underwriting process? How does it... Uh... Like, are you underwriting on the company? What sort of data you're looking at to to do this? You like, are you looking at sort of longevity? Just tell us how that process works. Yeah, it's definitely evolved over time, but the data sources have remained the same. Um, so, my experience in you know B two B lending is you know credit reports are fairly junk. Um, they're not as rich as consumer credit reports, so they're not as useful as you might think they might be. So we really rely on first-party data. So we're connecting into two data sources. Because we're the accounts payable software, we're getting access into their uh, account accounting software like QuickBooks NetSuite. And then we're also connecting to their bank account. Uh, so we use a few providers there. So effectively, um, for us to process a payment on behalf of this merchant, even if they're not uh, borrowing money from us, um, we use you know one of these bank connections to fulfill that uh, transaction. So that gives us access to th these two data sources. So one is uh, our accounting books. So we're getting stuff like P and Ls, balance sheets, um, and from the bank data, we're getting you know transaction data that goes back historically, and then also moving forward as well. Right, right. And what what's all the what are the range of of terms like like as far as interest rate cost on this on this capital for the for the end user yeah so we definitely abide uh by state by state uh apr requirements so we're definitely not uh doing any merchant cash advances or anything like that right. our aprs usually range from 12 to 24 percent um but then that also depends on state uh, you know some states might cap that to be a little bit lower uh and that's something we take into account um, and the terms, as we mentioned, uh, you know, are really that kind of like 30 to 150, 180 range. Um, and then amounts go anywhere from 50,000 to 10 million. 
Wow. Okay, that's a that's a pretty broad pretty broad range. And then, and then what about the capital the capital market side? I mean, how are you how are you funding these advances or or what do you working the working capital ones? Yeah, I think you know very similar to what I kind of experienced at a firm. Um, so we'll start off with uh, some warehouse lenders. So you know our biggest uh, warehouse facility is from City and Adelia. Uh, so they're providing us. Uh, a warehouse where we could pledge our assets, aka these loans. They'll give us a percentage of that back in cash, um, and then uh, depending on the timing of this, uh, we'll have have announced another warehouse facility um, with another bank uh, to help us keep scaling. Um, but you know, as you kind of think about the longer term playbook, uh, at some point we'll do whole loan sales. At some point we'll do ABS deals. Um, just to give us, you know, differentiate and diversified and also cheaper capital down the, down the stack. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So I want to talk about the, um, the, the accounts payable piece. Um, what, what is it that you did that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of accounts payable so- software out there. Um, what is it that you've done that makes this unique in the, in the industry? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing I think is the user experience. Um, you know, it really looks like it was built yesterday, uh, and it feels that way as well. So I was really trying to take the like consumerization of business software. Um, so really provide like a consumer like experience, uh, for software really aimed at businesses. Um, and when we kind of think about like, who is our customer is it's really these e-commerce founders, uh and um you know that's the kind of experience they expect um that's what they've experienced over the last 15 years so we need to meet them where they are um so that's one of the biggest reasons uh but because our our product suite also offers you know working capital loans um then the economics can be a little bit different um so effectively we can make the accounts payable software very cheap um because of that um, and not have to, you know, have specific uh, gross margins we need to make on the software uh, because we have this other revenue stream uh, that's impactful to our business. Um, And then I think the other thing is just, it's very snappy, very quick. Uh, Payments are quick. I think relative to other uh, accounts payable softwares, you know, we're probably the fastest. Um, And that's very important to these uh, brands because, um, you know, the trades that they're making really revolves around it. Like if we don't pay their supplier in China or somewhere else, then those goods might not get on the boat for them to get it, which really hampers their business. So we need to make sure we have the fastest payments in the industry. Right. Gotcha. Makes sense. Okay. So then can you tell us some of the, like, what are some of the brands that that you're working with today? Are there any, any brands that we might know? Yeah, um, I think absolutely. You know, we have you know Branch Furniture, uh, which is one of these crazy growth stories um, where they had to you know do a pretty hard pivot during COVID. You know, selling office furniture um, and turning that uh, into direct to consumer uh, was pretty um, meaningful for them. Uh, Lalo is a baby brand, um, which is building some very unique, beautiful products. Uh, and really not only starting direct to consumer, but now they have their own storefronts, uh, to really help accelerate that. Uh, I think Italic is a very unique business where 
they're creating this, you know, marketplace uh, membership style, uh, selling goods directly from their suppliers. Um, and then I think the list goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So I'd like to ask you about embedded finance because you, you, in some ways, you're sort of a, a poster child for this whole um, this whole movement because it's really you're you're kind of embedding the payment facility and the lending facility into into one experience. Like the fact that we are in a pretty sophisticated world now when it comes to embedded finance, how has that made it easier um, for you guys, maybe to grow your business or to operate it? Um, I definitely think, um, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure companies and, um, that have really helped this make easier for businesses. Um, so, you know, from having international payments, uh, to working with banks, integrating with banks, um, has, has really helped us, uh, grow quicker and actually find product market, uh, fit much quicker. So when you kind of think about what we launched with from, you know, domestic payments, international payments, lending, um, and software all built with a team of, you know, four or five people. Um, that's pretty amazing when you take a step back and think about it. Um, 10 years ago, you probably couldn't do that. That's probably a lot of millions of dollars and a lot of people working at the, at those things. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of these like turnkey like solutions out there. Uh, to help us do that. Um, and, you know, when, when we're starting the company, the thing that I was thinking a lot about is, you know, I think phase one, we're just like software companies. Phase two was really about embedding, you know, payments into the software. And, but for me, it was really taking it to, you know, phase three or phase four, where it was like, hey, not only are we going to embed payments into the software, then we're also going to embed lending, and then we're also going to embed accounting. Because for me, if you're a business and any money is moved, that money needs to be accounted for. So mm-hmm. why don't we just take that off your plate as well um, and really save you a lot of time? Uh, so let's let's jump the gun there uh, and do a lot more for your business than uh, you might if you just go to some other company, and then you're going to have to do a lot of work on the back end to kind of reconcile all that. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So I want to go back to a firm for a second. I had I had Max Levchin on the show just not that long ago, and he, had, he said some really interesting things about the entrepreneurial spirit inside the firm, which we, we we touched on. But I'd like to kind of frame the question this way: if, like from your time at a firm, how does that inform how you run Settle today? Yeah. Um, I definitely took a lot of things away from a firm. Um, so at the, the startup I did before a firm, um, you know, it was a small team, first time founder. So I think we definitely learned a lot of things, especially like a lot of what not to do at a startup. Um, so one of my main reasons for joining a firm was, okay, I I learned what not to do here, but I really want to learn what to do. Um, and uh, I was like, okay, Max has done this a few times. He's probably, you know, best in the game. So if I could just absorb, uh, what that company does, what he does, I think I'll be in a better place. So I joined when I was about 50 people left when I was about 800. Um, so there's definitely phases within the company and you could kind of notice like, okay, things need to change here to make sure we're firing on all cylinders. 
but I think the the best thing I took away is just like the culture you built. Um, so from, you know, being very first principles thinking, uh, being very collaborative, very humble, um, but mostly just like working your tail off. Um, I think that's something a firm was, was able to accomplish. And that's something I'm trying to kind of uh, partake here. Um, so I think we have a lot of extra firmers as well, uh, that I worked with, uh, at settle. So we're able to kind of like, uh, exponentially grow that kind of culture here as well. Right. So when I was doing a little bit of research on you guys, um, for this interview, I found that you, um, you have an Ukrainian team. In fact, they were part of the, I don't know if you have Ukrainian co-founders, but they were certainly early on, it seems like in your, <laughs> in your um you know development what can you t- tell us a little bit about that how uh, you know are they still around how the how have they been impacted because obviously um, ukraine has had a, some challenging times the last uh, 12 to 15 months yeah it's definitely been very sad and very frustrating um but they're all powering through um you know i wish there's there was more we could do to help but things are kind of like out of our hands uh but yeah um the the three people I worked with at the small startup right before Settle uh, are all here uh, at Settle as well. So really founding members. Um, so uh, I just thought they were so talented, so smart that I was like, I got to do what I can to keep these people employed. Um, and so I pitched them on Settle back in the day. I actually flew to, they're in Lviv, Ukraine. So I actually flew there. Uh, when I was shutting down the previous startup that they worked for, uh, and pitched them on settle and they all said yes. Um, so yeah, they're just so talented. Uh, are they still there in Lviv? Yeah. One person got out. I don't know if I should be saying that, but, uh, uh, but the other people are, and we've actually grown the team there. So I think there's about 15 people there now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually have, I think the nicest office of any of our offices, <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so they're about, it's mostly engineering team. Uh, I think they account for about a third of our entire engineering team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, design, some of design is there as well. Um, so yeah, they're just such an integral part of the company. Um, you know, this isn't like a dev shop by any means. Like these are, uh, you know, everyone gets equity. I hope everyone here is for a long term. Uh, it's not viewed any differently than like a U.S. employee by any means. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, can you give us a sense of, of the scale you're at today? Any any metrics you can share on that? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, hundreds of companies uh, still growing. Um, you know, the, I think the biggest thing for us was uh, for a long time all of our growth was organic, so just this word of mouth. Uh, so the biggest investment we've been kind of making over the last really nine months is really about building our own go-to-market motions. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, organic growth is nice, but that doesn't mean you have a strategy or a playbook. Um, so for us is, okay, what can we do to actually 3x, 10x this business? Um, so it's a big DNA change for us because we have to build all these new muscles uh, that we just didn't have. Um, so that's been a lot of the focus now to kind of take this, okay, how do we get to, you know, thousands of customers and then 10,000 of customers and so forth and so forth. Right. Right. So, um, 
it looks like you guys haven't raised equity capital for a while. So 2021 was what I saw anyway. Um, clearly, fintech is is a different environment for raising capital. You know, today on the equity side, anyway. Um, what you know, what what have you sort of, or how have you navigated this kind of this downturn and the the, the fintech winter that some people are calling it? Um, you know, how how are you kind of you know, navigating, have you changed your business um, in the last, you know, 12 plus months? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's fintech winter. I mean, I think it's just back to normal, right? Uh, <laughs> right. So, we just had a, we had a roaring summer, I guess. <laughs> okay. Temperatures are working out. Global warming. It was way too hot. <laughs> um, but no, um, it's not, I don't think anything is bad. Uh, I just think it's you know more appropriate. Uh, right. Well, a lot of companies, a lot of companies have done layoffs. It doesn't sound like you guys are part of that, but uh, yeah, there's right, a lot, right. Um, a lot of know, we definitely had employees ask like, "Hey, we're we doing layoffs. We're we doing layoffs," and um, and I was like, "Layoff who? We're too small. Uh, <laughs> Everyone so critical." So I think you know for the longest time, um, you know, I think I I took a lot of pride in being very efficient and small team. And then I think during really the the roaring summer, as you mentioned it, uh, I was like, man, we should be bigger. Like we could be accomplishing so much more. And then as things kind of reverted back to the mean, uh, I was like, oh, thank God we didn't overhire because uh, mm-hmm. that would have been very painful. So yeah, for, for us, uh, we didn't do layoffs. Uh, so for us, it was really about just making sure we're not getting over our skis. Um, so as long as, you know, we're reaching the internal me- metrics to drive this business and keep it alive, uh, that will be a good spot. And, you know, I don't think anyone wants to uh, raise equity. Uh, it just kind of brings in dilution, right? Right. Uh, you know, raising equity isn't a goal or anything. It just kind of resets the bar of what you need to accomplish. So I don't think it's more of like, I don't think it's really like a celebratory event. It just, it just means you have new bosses uh, you need to work for. <laughs> um, so, you know, well, uh, be- because we raised a big round and brought in some great partners. So, you know, brought in Ribbit Capital, uh, which I admire a lot. Um, for us, it's really about, um, you know, it's more of a luxury. So like, hey, if, if we do all the things that we say we're going to do, then you know we'll either be able to make the decision hey do we want to raise equity and uh kind of really grow the employee base from here on out or uh do we potentially not want to and just continue uh, you know driving uh, good business strategies right right gotcha okay so last question what's what's your what's your vision for settle what where are you taking this yeah so um we really want to build a very um, a very vertically focused payments network. Uh, so when you kind of think about what Settle is, is you know we're we bring on a lot of our payers. You could call them that. So people who are paying other people, uh, we're actually acquiring a lot of vendors as well. Um, so effectively, we're starting to create this payments network. And because we're very vertically focused in this e-commerce CPG channel, uh, we could drive a lot of efficiencies to both parties uh, because one of the data that we have, but then two also just like the payments network that we've been building. Um, so the same way we're trying to solve cash flow issues for our brands and really build this cash flow management platform for them. 
um, where we could, you know, give them the insights and information to make the right decisions, but then also just give them the tools uh, to make the right changes in their business. The same thing we could do on the vendor side as well. Uh, so if we know, you know, our brands want to pay later, um, then we kind of know these vendors want to get paid sooner as well. So effectively, we want to use this payments, lending, and accounting for both parties for this ecosystem um, and actually drive a lot of efficiencies uh, to those parties. So that's kind of the vision that we're building towards. Um, but, you know, we can't accomplish it in one day. So we need to, you know, take these building blocks and, you know, really approach them sequentially in the right order to help us get get us there. Right. Interesting. Well, like to leave it there, Alec. Um, best of luck to you. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay. See ya. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and give the show a review on the podcast platform of your choice and go tell your friends and colleagues about it. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.